My name is Matt Seipel. I am one of the associate pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, you might have noticed Hal and I are dressed a little similar this morning. Some people call that the Presbyterian pastor's uniform. But I was actually born in a blue blazer, just <laughs> so you know. Um, we're continuing our uh, sermon series through the Gospel of John this morning. We, I think we started out in chapter 9 back in August, and we're to the middle of chapter 15 today. So while you're turning there in your Bible, I just wanted to remind you uh, that this passage does take place in the middle of what we call the farewell discourse. Uh, this is Jesus' final conversation uh, with his disciples before his arrest and trial and then crucifixion. What's been so striking, uh, so striking to me about these chapters as we've worked through them just the last few uh, weeks and months is that Jesus uses uh, this time that he has, his final hours, uh, he uses it to encourage uh, the disciples. You know, he's the one who's marching uh, toward death, but he, he never talks about how difficult this is going to be or already is uh, for himself. His aim is that they uh, would not be discouraged. Uh, he wants to prepare them uh, for their difficulty uh, that they're facing. Um, and Sinclair Ferguson points out that it's actually it's Christ's own difficulty that is going to enable uh, the disciples uh, to face their difficulties. Or as we'll see in this passage, it's what enables them and enables us to love one another. Uh, one other thing, just bef- before I read the passage, uh, when you look at verses like this, they, they can have the appearance of, and kind of have the feel of platitudes. Um, and I just want you to consider as we read this, uh, that these are uh, the very words of our Savior, the words of the incarnate God who, who lived and died and lives again uh, for our sake. These words have been preserved, as John tells us later in chapter 20, so that we might believe and have life. Th- these are the kind of things that you could meditate on the rest of your life, uh, at least the rest of the afternoon. Um, so with that in mind, let, let's look at John 15. Of course, we do have it printed for you there in your bulletin. Uh, Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. This is John 15, verses 12 uh, through 17. This, actually, I'm going to start back in verse 9. Sorry for the left turn there. I'm going to start in verse 9, and I'll tell you when I get to verse 12. Uh, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit 
and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love uh, one another. Father, we pray that you would bless these words to our heart this morning and that by your spirit uh, you would use them uh, to do just what you say to enable us to believe you and have life in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, What uh, do you love? Or who uh, do you love? Or who loves you? Uh, The way uh, that you answer uh, those kinds of questions, it's not just just kind of important. Uh, It actually sets the whole uh, direction uh, for your life on earth. I've already mentioned that uh, in this passage, Jesus is seeking uh, to encourage his disciples, but that encouragement is not limited uh, to emotional comfort. Uh, It actually includes uh, laying out clear expectations for what their life uh, without him ought to look like. Uh, In verses 1 through 11 that we looked at last week, he presses home the importance of abiding uh, in the vine. And in these verses, he shows us uh, what that actually looks like. Uh, These are a summary of all that it means to abide in Jesus and to abide in his love. And while it's our love uh, that brackets the passage uh, in verses 12 and 17, this passage is really about God's love. It's about God's love and the fruit that he bears in the lives of his people. You see, Jesus obeyed and abides in the Father's love, and he wants us to obey and abide in his love, and he even tells us that he loves us in the same way that the Father loves the Son. It's God's love that provides uh, the background and the foundation for all of Christ's encouragement, including uh, the exhortations that he has for us. You see, God transforms his people with his love. He transforms his people uh, with his love. And there's so much that we could say about this, but what I want to do this morning, I just want to focus on three ways that the love of God in Christ changes us. Or we could say three things that God's love does, uh, three things that it produces in us, okay? So first, God's love compels us That is, it actually, it demands something from us. And second, we'll see God's love befriends us. That is, it actually uh, takes us out of a status of distance and and puts us in a new place of of nearness uh, that is personal. And then we'll see finally that God's love actually chooses us. Now, what's going on here? Uh, It is just too great uh, for God to let you decide. God, uh, his love compels us, it befriends us, and it chooses us. That's what we'll see. So first, God's love, it compels us uh, to love others. In other words, his love moves us outward, uh, beyond ourselves, to extend uh, the very thing that we have received from him uh, out into the world. It does this not, not by instinct, uh, but in, in two particular ways, ways that seem to maybe have fallen on hard times uh, in some of, some of our circles. Uh, the first way 
God's love compels us is by commandment. Uh, This is my commandment that you love one another, he says in verse 12. It is God's love that he instructs us how to live uh, in his world. And love, as as Jesus describes it here, uh, is not simply a feeling uh, that we're to cultivate. It's not uh, an inner sensation that arises spontaneously when we are around people that we find attractive. What I especially want us to see is that it's not a set of emotions that can be disconnected from actions. Uh, Love here is an obedient response. Uh, We love simply because our king has commanded it, and however difficult we find it to be, Christ's subjects obey his commands. We're not only uh, commanded to love, but we're also given uh, the supreme example of love in Jesus. We're compelled by command, but we're also compelled by this example. As I have loved you, he says. His actions define for us what love uh, is to look like. So you see, it's not, it's not just a paradigm. Uh, love is not just a way of seeing things, but it is summed up and put on display in Christ's actions. Uh, it's Jesus' own death that he is talking about here. Not a, not a generic death, but a purposeful, personal, effectual death for his friends. Uh, it's the greatest act of love that there is, he says, And the consistent, uh, if not difficult, teaching of the New Testament is that we are to imitate Jesus' love. Paul says it in Ephesians 5 and in 2 Corinthians 5 and probably a few other places. And the writer of this gospel says it in 1 John 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Uh, There's... There's just no other way to say it. Uh, We are to be like Jesus. Of course, there are limits, right? There are limits to what it means to imitate Jesus. You and I can't die for one another's sins. Of course, Jesus knew that. That would be to miss the point. Uh, What we can do, what we're commanded to do here, uh, is to live lives of self-denial. If that sounds hard, well, you are correct. (laughs) Uh, It was hard uh, for Jesus. We have uh, a tendency to sort of think, well, maybe maybe this was easy for him. I mean, he's God, so of course he could do it. Well, no. He sweat like drops of blood just thinking about what was ahead of him. It was incredibly difficult for Jesus in every human way, Uh, but he did it, and this is important, he did it because the Father called us his. Friends, you and I are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, because God loves them. If you have no other reason, we are to love those whom Jesus has purchased with his blood. 
How, how, how can we turn our back on, on those whom God loves? You know, what's easy, uh, what's easy is loving people from afar. Like, it's really easy. <laughs> it's like loving uh, your favorite character on a TV show. Uh, it's just an idea uh, that you love. It's not real. Uh, this, is why, this is why we are drawn to think uh, that the grass is, is greener. You know, if I, had, if I had a different job, well, those people would probably be easier to love. Uh, or maybe if I had a different marriage, or that marriage, uh, she would be easier uh, to love. If I was in a different church, those people uh, would be easier uh, to love. Well, besides the fact that that's not true, the grass actually isn't greener, we are called to love those who are close to us. We're not called to love those (laughs) that we don't actually have to live with. Uh, We're called especially to love those in the church. You see, the gospel, the gospel doesn't destroy affinity. Uh, we, we are free to make connections with people who have similar interests or similar stage of life or a similar schedule. But the gospel does uh, relativize those things. Uh, affinity cannot be allowed to determine who you are going to love. Love cannot be put through some grid of who will be uh, the most fun or who will love me in return or who I think deserves it. Every last Christian is to be the object of your love. Besides just a a bare selfishness, Uh, I think one of the things that really keeps us from this is a kind of fear. Uh, You know, what, I mean, what if I'm taken advantage of? Well, uh, that's probably pretty likely. Um, If you're going to love, or if your love is going to look uh, like the cross, then that means that your love not only has to be without regard for merit, But it also has to be without regard uh, for outcomes. You see, on a worldly plane, love, it it may not work out for you. And what Jesus is saying is, well, that's not actually uh, the point here. Uh, Love does not calculate. Uh, Love uh, makes sacrifices. And so what does that look like? Well, very simply, we are to give ourselves away. Uh, Without regard for our time or our plans or our rights, because we are not our own, but have been bought with a price, as Paul says. There are a thousand opportunities every day to love. All you have to do is consider others more significant than yourself. Uh, At the men's retreat, a couple years ago, I, I've told some of you this story before, but I got the opportunity just to talk during our free time uh, with our speaker. And he said something to me that w- it was funny, 
but I think it was also uh, very profound while we were talking. He said, you know, sometimes my wife makes me so mad I can't even breathe. But you know, Jesus has done so much for me. I can love my wife. I can love her when I think about all that God has done for me in Jesus. God's love is the ground of our love and our obedience. It compels us uh, to love one another. Uh, But second, God's love, uh, it befriends us. God's love calls us into a new uh, relationship with him. If you are a Christian here this morning, Jesus does not just tolerate you, but he is your friend. I've got different kinds of friends. I've got uh, neighbor friends, and I've got um, hobby friends like music friends and UGA football friends. I've got work friends. They're all here, so I won't talk about them. Um, But I've also got friends that I would call uh, if I really needed something. And I've got friends who I hope they would call me and I would do anything for them. Uh, But there's all these different layers of friendship. So it's important to understand, well, what what does Jesus mean? Uh, What kind of friends uh, is he talking about here? Well, we've already seen one unique thing is this is a friendship characterized by obedience. Now, he's not saying, if you obey, uh, if you meet my demands, then I will agree uh, to be your friend. No, he's simply describing his friends. Jesus' friends obey. To put it in terms of verse 12, Jesus' friends love one another as he has loved them. This is what they do. And so if, if you don't love then, then Jesus' shed blood for the sins of the world has made no impact on your heart. Uh, if you don't love, uh, then you have not grasped what it is uh, that he came to do. And as 1 John 4 says, if you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. Well, what kind of friendship is this? (laughs) A friendship that involves obedience. Well, think about some of the reasons that you might do what a friend asks you to do. You probably don't think of it as obeying, but if somebody asked you to help them move, or maybe if somebody asked you to help them uh, dig a drainage ditch, or if somebody asked you to arrange pickup for their children because they have multiple sporting events going on at the same time and they're trying to make it to community group and their wife's at a homeschool co-op event, hypothetically. (laughs) Well, why do we respond when these kind of requests come? I mean, is it because you think they're going to pay you back? Is it because you think that you might need a favor later? I mean, sometimes that, I guess that might be the reason. But I mean, isn't it ever simply because you care about the person? Because you enjoy helping someone that you love? Well, this, this is the kind of obedience that Jesus is talking about here. It's not of drudgery. It's the obedience of friends. But what really stands out, what really stands out about this friendship is that it's also characterized by access. 
Uh, Jesus tells us in verse 15 that we're no longer his servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You see, the difference between a servant and a friend for Jesus is not that one obeys and the other doesn't, uh, but that the servant has no interest in the work of his master. Uh, he, He is just a tool who does what he is told and takes his money and he goes home. Some of you might think that that's what God is like. Uh, that, that you just try to do enough of what he says so that he won't get mad and then he'll leave you alone so that you can do uh, what you want to do. But what Jesus says, he says our great privilege is that we have been let into our master's heart. All of our obedience is that of privileged Servants, those who've been giving a full understanding of the Father's plans for the world. Now, he doesn't mean he told the disciples or or that he communicates to us all that the Son of God knows. That that would not be possible. Uh, But that God's will for the salvation of his people has been revealed and the fullness of that revelation centers on Jesus Christ and all that he came to do. See, when he says no longer servants, he reminds us that Christ brought a fundamental change to what it meant to be a member of God's covenant people. In all the Old Testament, all of the thousands of years that it covers and the millions of people that it covers, only two Only Abraham and Moses are called the friends of God. And Peter tells us that the prophets searched and inquired into the coming of Christ. But now, by his finished work, by the coming of his Holy Spirit, Christians, you and I here today who put all our hope in Christ, we are not only more informed but we are more truly and vitally connected to God and to one another than any other humans at any point in history. A friend of mine has been uh, working on a book, and he asked me uh, to take a look at one of the chapters that he was writing before he sent it off to the publisher. And so I got to have this little sneak peek at something that no one else had seen yet. And that sort of felt, it felt good. Um, And this is like a little, this is like a theology book that most people in the world are never going to read or even hear about. And just on that little small scale, uh, it felt good to be an insider. Uh, I felt important. Uh, I felt like my My input was valued, and I was being valued. Jesus, he wants us to see and to grasp and to acknowledge the great privilege that has been granted to us, that we know him. 
If you've been united to Christ, you know God better than Abraham and Moses did. He'll go on to say in chapter 16 that because of the Spirit of the Son, who not only prays for you and with you, but dwells in you, that in a real way, you know Jesus better than his disciples did. And so, I want to pray that we would grow in appreciation and and gratitude for this indescribable privilege that we have. We know God in Christ. Peter says that angels still long to look into this, but we are his friends. We are confidants of the king. This might leave you with questions. I mean, what kind of friend will he be? Uh, Will he be the kind of friend uh, that I want? But that would be to miss uh, the point here that it's God's love that makes us his friends. So God's love is is the ground of our obedience. Uh, It's God's love that makes us friends. And ultimately what we see here is it's God's love that chooses us. He chooses. It might seem odd. It might might even seem problematic to you uh, that God chooses. I mean, wouldn't a loving God let his people do the choosing? And by the way, I did choose. I remember it. I raised my hand. Well, one way or another, we we have to deal with Uh, with what verse 16 says. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I mean, why would he even put this here (laughs) in a conversation that's supposed to be about encouragement? Well, Jesus, he doesn't want us to think uh, for one second that this is the kind of friendship that we can be proud of. I mean, we, we can be proud like a son is proud of his dad. Uh, We can be glad to be associated with Jesus, but we cannot be proud in the sense that we claim any credit for this relationship. It depends entirely on Christ's choice. Now, in one sense, it's not that we, it's not that we don't make choices. Uh, it's, not even, it's not even that you don't choose to believe God or, or choose to love Christ, but there is a deeper foundation Uh, For your choice. It is not because you are wiser or more discerning uh, than other people. It is because of God's love. Even our reception of Him is by His choice. And this is not a new teaching in Scripture, Uh, it runs uh, throughout the whole Bible. God always chooses His friends. Abraham did not call himself to go to the land of Canaan. What we see with Moses is is he actually uh, is not interested in in, uh, the role that God has for him. He tries to get out of it a couple times. And Israel, of course, well, they're not called the chosen people for nothing. Vines don't plant themselves. We live in a world 
It's very interesting. We live in a world that is crammed full of choices. Uh, I'd be willing to bet everyone in the room has more choices uh, than their parents had. And this is a a very modern way uh, to look at the world, to think about life as a series of choices. But you know, if, uh, if your whole livelihood and your family's well-being and the well-being of your whole uh, city or small country depends on whether it rains or not, If your biggest concern is whether you get invaded or not, freedom is not obvious to you. But in our world, uh, in this world of choices, uh, we have this instinct to think, well, in some kind of way, my relationship to Jesus, it must be one of agreement. In some kind of way, we, we, we sort of move towards one another until we get on the same page. yes. I will choose Jesus because that is what is best for me. But it's just not what the Bible teaches, either in this passage or anyone else. You see, God is not an item on the menu. What we see is that no one moves toward Christ until Christ first moves towards him. It is God who is not only the initiator, but the finisher of our salvation. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. The new creation is just as much uh, ex nihilo, just as much out of nothing as the old creation. God speaks and life is born. There is no other way. We cannot claim anything for ourselves. Now, even if you already believe, even if you already believe this uh, election, that's what we believe here, by the way. Um, it's what most of the church uh, believed uh, up through the medieval period. That's what all the Protestant reformers believed and what pretty much every Protestant believed until about 150 or 200 years ago. But if you're so bold as to call yourself a Calvinist in 2019, I know that you still have this little desire, maybe a big desire in you, that God would love you because of something that he sees in you. That in some kind of way, I have made myself uh, desirable to him. Surely, he loves me because I try harder than most people. C.S. Lewis says in his book, uh, The Four Loves, he, he writes that, you know, even after even after believing that the Son of God has died for your sins, uh, there remains some lingering idea of our own, our very own attractiveness. It is easy to acknowledge but almost impossible to realize for long that we are mirrors whose brightness, if we are bright, is wholly derived from the sun that shines upon us. Surely we must have a little However little, native luminosity, surely we can't quite be creatures. But God loves his people because he loves them.
He is his own foundation for his love. It is his free choice to love us. And I just have to tell you, you don't want a God who only loves the lovely. You don't want God's love to depend on your good choices. When we come to God's sovereignty, uh, I have to tell you, and and this may be especially important for those of you who have a tendency to maybe think your way through the Christian life. Um, Your great need is not to intellectually grasp how God's sovereignty fits together with your responsibility. Uh, It's not your job to sort of figure out how it works. Your need is to know that you're held accountable to God for everything that you do. And so his sovereignty, it's not primarily a doctrine uh, that is to be studied, uh, but it is a relational reality that is both to humble us and to comfort us. You see, God's Sovereign love is what prompts us to say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Now the second half of verse 16 uh, shows us that his choosing is for a purpose. Christ chooses so that we might uh, bear fruit, he says. You see, Jesus' aim is transformation. And so he finishes here with a call uh, to prayer. I don't know if you can see the logic here, but let me paraphrase what he has to say in these last two verses. He says, I chose you to bear fruit so that when you pray, God will answer so that you will love one another. What he's telling them is that prayer is the God-given means of our obedience. All prayer is our acknowledgement of weakness and dependence before him. Prayer is a posture of helplessness before the sovereign God of love. It's our constant reminder of our own inability to produce any fruit on our own, but also God's good pleasure to bring that fruit about in our lives. Branches can't make fruit without the vine, and prayer is our means to secure that fruit through dependence on the vine. In other words, to pray in Jesus' name is not a spell. It's not witchcraft. Um, To pray in Jesus' name is to acknowledge that we need him, uh, both all that he is and all that he has done, and by appeal To the Father, in the name of the Son, we can ask him for everything that he has commanded. God, please help me to love my brothers and sisters the way Jesus loved them. You don't have to be, you don't have to be good enough uh, for God. Uh, He loves you and you simply have to call out to him. Uh, It is his very character to respond to all of those who call. And you can be absolutely sure 
that you belong to him and that you are his friend when you call on him. So as we leave here this morning, I pray that we would contemplate uh, the love of God in Christ, that he took on flesh for our sake and suffered in every human way for us and that even now it remains his joy to be seated at the right hand of the Father and to intercede for us as our high priest. So let us consider uh, what a friend uh, we have in Jesus and let us bear the fruit of love for one another. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for a love uh, so great as this. We thank you for a love that would send Jesus for us. We thank you that you have not and do not and will not wait on us to measure up, but that in your great love for us, uh, you Uh, Pursue us, that you are a God who makes his enemies into friends. And God, I do pray uh, that the more and more we consider this great friendship that we have been uh, let into uh, your secret counsels, we have been let into your heart for the world, uh, I pray that it would cause us Uh, to spill over uh, into love uh, for one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.